Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And they'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. Uh, chat room is open. That's the first news. Chat room is open, so if you're listening live, join us in the chat room. My guest today is Peter Marshall. He's returning for this series, the director series, for the 20th time. Now, if you're listening for the first time today, don't let that discourage you. We're talking about casting, director guidelines for casting uh, movies. And so each, uh, just about each hour, while, while it is a cohesive picture of uh, – of um, what a director needs to do when it comes to script, you know, de- uh, de- breaking down the script and, and shooting the movie and pre-production and uh, working with actors and casting. Um, you can listen to each episode independently and always go back and listen to the other fine episodes at your leisure. And there are 20 of them right now, and uh, and there's more to come with Peter. And this is a fabulous opportunity for you to to discover the nuances of, of casting your talent for your motion picture, so stay tuned. I'm going to tell you more about Peter in just a moment. Um, this is also a time when I say, hey, if you're listening live, invite somebody to join you and share these uh, interviews and this website, Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official uh, URL is rexsikes.com. That's uh, the official URL for Rex Sykes Movie Beat. I'm your host, Rex Sykes. So go ahead and share that near and far to all your friends and industry connections and, and be sure to reach out and ask people to listen, whether they listen live or archived, because all of these interviews are recorded live and then archived at RexSykes.com in the interviews blog, and you can find them there. They're also available as podcasts at the iTunes store, and you can subscribe to over 300 hours of, of uh, professional filmmakers giving away the farm. They're, they're giving away secrets as Peter is doing today, secrets, nuts and bolts, how to, what not to do, uh, tips and suggestions and advice so that you can make your project uh, faster, smoother, less expensively to get it from development to the screen and beyond and for you to advance your career. And so you're definitely going to want to subscribe. You want to go back to the archives, listen to each and every one and uh, and take notes because uh, you're going to benefit from, from all, my, all my guests' know-how and expertise that they give to you. In return, we ask that you share it and spread the word. All right. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Peter, and uh, and then we'll move into uh, having Peter on. Uh, Peter Marshall has had a film career that is, is uh, more than 35 years, and he has worked as a PA, a dolly grip, an electrician, assistant cameraman, commercial production manager, first assistant director, TV series consultant, a television producer and director. He's worked on industrial films, documentary, television commercials, music videos, Emmy Award-nominated TV series, and features. He's directed over 30 TV episodes, written, directed, and produced over 50 hours of documentary educational programs, and his works have won or been nominated for 14 international awards. So without any further uh, hesitation, let me bring Peter on. Good morning, Rex. Good morning. Good morning. That was really trippy from my side. I'm in the studio, and I pressed your mic button, and you came through before the mic came on. <laughs> so that was good, because I was afraid I was going to come in in mid-sentence, because it just spun and spun and spun, but, but there you are. How are you? I'm very fine. I'm very well today, thank you. Looking outside, and I'm obviously I'm in Vancouver in Canada, and looking out to the North Shore Mountains, and it's just raining, puddles on oh. the road, and oh well. There you go. I'm dry. 
Wow. Well, we've been there and we've done that, and it's beautiful weather where I'm at, so I can't complain. My daughter graduates from one of her schools today, so uh, I'm looking forward. Uh, school is over officially where we are. My son will be done, and I get to have uh, some summer fun with them. So that, right that begins uh, this afternoon. Cool. Um, so uh, let me say that Peter's website is uh, actioncutprint.com. It's actioncutprint.com. He also has an easy in the director's chair that you want to subscribe to, want to subscribe to, as well as a blog, filmmaking tips. Film directing right? tips. Film directing tips. Apologize. Uh, film directing tips, and uh, and you want to check into each of those now, because um, I do. I subscribe to each of those, and I and I visit his website, and I have. He's got some really great offerings at his website, so be sure to go and check those out. All right. Well, Peter, this is our twentieth conversation today. That's that's a. It's actually our twenty fifth because we did five. Uh, episodes of what's important for first eighties to know. That's right. And, do I get uh, some kind of like? Do we get? Is this the twenty fifth anniversary? Or do you this is like your twenty fifth anniversary. Give some award out or medal we, or send me a pen or something. Yeah, we should do something like that. Should <laughs> there should be something? And uh, and uh, so I mean it's it's auspicious. And we've never today. met in person either. And yes, we've never met in person. Isn't that unbelievable? So, yeah. um, and I want to. You've got an upcoming workshop. Why don't you tell everybody about the workshop? It's in on the 23rd and 24th of June. Yeah, it's in Toronto, uh, Toronto, uh, and uh, 23rd and 24th of June. It's put on. It's sponsored by Raindance Canada, and uh, on my website and uh, on Facebook, you can be able to find out more information about it. There is still lots of room left, uh, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's called the Essentials of Film Directing. It's a two-day two-day workshop. And, you, and if people are interested, they can find out more on my website, actioncutprint.com, or my blog, filmdirectingtips.com. And for the listeners to know, and I have told Peter this, that I would be there in a heartbeat, uh, except I have a conflicting event that I'm putting on for the very same weekend. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'll have to mention that later. But, uh, no, I, I very when I found it, I was I was conflicted because uh, of, of two events that, that would have to happen on the same day. Um, the one I'm putting on is happening opposite the one that I would be attending with you. So. Right. <laughs> I, uh, um, but, well, uh, I'm sure we're going to be doing more out in Toronto. I've been trying to get out east for a while because uh, there's the whole uh, east coast of the states in, in Canada, and then it's closer to Europe. I've got some people coming over from Europe, and i got one somebody from Singapore, and hopefully some other people from India coming in if they get their, their visas in time. So it's going to be a, a very good international crowd. and. Uh, <laughs> That's and, really cool. and I'm really happy about that because you know part of doing a workshop is not is for all of us to learn, but it's like the more international we get, we realize that uh, the differences uh, sort of go away when we're talking film language because everybody sort of has the same same uh, questions, same problems, and uh, and and we try to answer them all together. And it's just it's a lot of fun. I've done this several times before with my own workshops here and I've like I said I've traveled to Singapore, I've been in Dubai teaching workshops as well and it's an international community, the filmmakers around the world. So uh uh it's just it's an awesome experience. So really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well that's very cool. Um and uh and we're I want to get you into the Milwaukee area as well and it would be great if when we do we could get the same kind of international crowd to come into Milwaukee but but uh, we'll talk about that and see what we could do about getting you, Mr. Marshall, into into this area, uh, cool. but, but yeah, no, that would be cool. Let, let, let's get into it. We were talking casting the last time, and we're going to uh, continue talking uh, casting this time. So, what uh, what do you want to do to uh, remind people about what we were talking about? Well, or? I just want to go back. I think casting. Uh, we did talk a little bit about it last week as well, and I just or last time, and I just want to sort of reiterate that. To me, casting is the bottleneck of the film industry. It's like this. We all know what a bottleneck is. Right? It's it's the bridges at rush hours and and uh, or the 405 in LA anytime, whatever. But it's like the, it's just this thing that producers, directors, and actors all have to go through, and and it's hard on both sides. And and I've been on the, you know, on the, in audition, many many auditions, and it's just it's very difficult for, like I said, for both the say a director. Uh, a little more difficult, I guess, for an actor to walk into this room, but it's to understand how do we find people? How, do, how does an act as an actor come into a room and, and have that five minutes or ten minutes, if you're lucky, to 
show your stuff. And, and so what we, I want to talk a bit about that today. And um, there's really, from a, um, a quick reference, there's, there's lots of things from a director's point of view, uh, a producer's point of view, that we look for in actors. So the top three qualities that I, I call it, that we look for is, number one, is do they look the part? And, of course, this is fairly obvious. Uh, as soon as an actor sort of opens the door and walks into where the camera is to their slate, that's what I call the 50% rule. It's like, do they look the part automatically? Is that is that the kind of person you're looking for? And that's a, that instant kind of reaction. And uh, and then you get this feeling. So that's that's the first one. Um, the second one is is do they have range? And what we mean by that is is can they laugh and cry and uh, you know, sort of uh, at the sa- in the same sort of context of the, of the paragraph or the, what they're doing and make it believable. And that's the range. And the third is really can they take direction? And that's are they listening to you? Are they changing? Are they processing? And, of course, sort of two and three are all related. Uh, and th- and so I'm going to just talk a little bit more detail about those because it's really the secret for directors. And I've talked to a lot of directors, especially young directors who are new to casting. And really one of the key elements of how you you determine sort of do they have range and can they direct take direction is really with an adjustment after the first take. And I just want to explain this a bit and then we can have a conversation, Rex, because I know you have a lot to say about this. It's the I find a fault in casting, and I hear this from actors a lot, and I've taught actors, uh, I do a little work, I do workshops with actors as well from a director's point of view. And one of the main criticisms actors have is, well, we come into this environment, um, we have our our sides, our, our script we're reading. They just, you know, you do your name, rank, and serial number, right, as an actor, and then they say go, and then you say, and then they say thank you, and you walk out the door. And ultimately, they only get to do it once. And from a director's point of view, how the heck are you going to know um, that the actor has range or direction if you don't do anything? So the trick we teach um all the filmmakers at Vancouver Film School and I do in all my workshops, and I've done for years, is you, they come into the room, um, and part of the process is making actors comfortable because it's very nervous, right? You're sitting all outside, and they're like you're looking around, Rex, and there's ten people that all look like you, and they're all applying for the same job. <laughs> so right, right. Obviously, uh, so coming into this room where you know there's like a, a couple producers, a director, maybe a casting director. And these people can make or break your career, and so this is very nervous. So is that vul- you're already vulnerable when you walk in? But for me, the concept is uh, don't say, I don't really. I ask the actor if they have any questions, and uh, and most of the time they don't, and I just let them go. I let them do their first one, and then I make an adjustment. So be very simply, if if the if the sides they're reading is the character supposed to be angry and whatever, then I'll flip it around and. And, and make them have fun with it or do some kind of alternate um, objective, change the objective, really, and see what if they can handle that. And it's not necessarily what I want the character to do in the movie, but for me, it's I can see them process. Can they change the objective quickly? Because um, if I give them something, and it has to be something that's totally opposite of what they're reading, uh, as far an obje- as, as an objective, because it's the same thing. I'm just, and it, it doesn't really do anything. And if the actor gives me something, uh, then I have a potential for a callback. If they don't, if they sort of do the same thing, then that's telling me that uh, either um, they don't have the range, or they're not listening, or not processing. These are all quick, um, just quick ideas. I think the secret to casting is getting to the callback. And, oh, right, right. You know, it's it's like for me, when an actor walks in the room the first time, um, you want to have an opportunity to bring people to the into the callbacks. And that's where you get to play with the chemistry with other actors, but you get a little more time with them. So it's just really, your, your, from a director's point of view, just eliminating the people that either do not fit at all, like either a physical or performance-wise, uh, they're just not the type. I'm not saying they're bad actors or anything like that. And sometimes you get very good actors that aren't going to fit the role. And uh, you try to eliminate those. And then even if you have a little doubt or you saw a little gem of something, then you, I like to bring people back for callbacks. 
So that's really that top three qualities, Rex, that I think are important for everybody to understand when you're casting. And it's really the secret sauce to everything is have really ultimately casting is this. Have them come in, do whatever they've they've uh, they've uh, prepped, give them an adjustment, give them something to do differently, and then see what they do, and uh, and then go from there. And so the top three qualities again are look for. Uh, do they look the part? Do they have the range? And can they take direction? Exactly. And yeah. two and three are kind of, you know, are all both, you know, um, the same. You know, they're opposite ends of the same thing. But, and and of course, I've had I've been in casting sessions and and heard stories where you know producers or directors, someone will walk in and and they're blonde and well, I'm sorry, we're looking for someone with red hair. Uh, it's really unbelievable. Well, have you heard of dye? Have you heard of wigs? <laughs> I mean, it, it's like people get hung up on the look. And I guess another word of advice is, yes, that person is standing in front of the camera, um, and we tend to to want to cast for look, but you should really be casting for um, the acting quality first. Uh, look can only take you so far. And uh, so there, it's always there's no fast rule of this, obviously. But if you have someone that looks great for the role, but just can't kind of cut it performance-wise, you're going to be having a very tough problem on the set. And there's always yeah, something. Absolutely. And there's always something I say too is that the, you know the audience doesn't know that you had two other people in mind for the role. All they see right. is the person you have. So that's just another thing to keep in mind. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting that um, I, I talk to casting directors and directors and other things, and, and someone will say, you know, I know if the person, when they walk in, they're going to get the part based on how they look. doesn't mean that they have an other criteria for them, but, but just they either look the part or they don't. If they don't look the part, they're, they're immediately discounted, which is, um, I understand that. I mean, I, I can appreciate that. And at the same time, you know, we go, you know, to the graduate and, you know, Dustin Hoffman being a different kind of type than, you know, who they were going to put in originally and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and and it worked, you know, or even the fact that Humphrey Bogart had a screen career. In, yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. You know, playing other than, you know, the the tough guy thing that he did. So it's it. I understand the type thing, but the range, the, the, the notion of getting somebody who, you know, is able to deliver it by look – you should clarify. We're not saying whether they are handsome or or non handsome. I mean, uh-huh. they could be they could be heavy. You know, they, they need to look like Quasimodo or something. You know, I mean, it's the look they, for the just, part you're casting. That's yeah. what we're looking for. Yeah, but I also yeah. think that you know, I'm a big, big Toby and I are a big fan of like oh, we watch all the BBC series and mm-hmm. and Poirot and and you know all of the British series. And if you watch British television uh, versus American or North American television. You see a very distinct uh, difference in the actors. The British actors, for the most part, aren't cast as pretty people. Uh-huh. Their cast is like everyone down to who's got one line are brilliant actors, where mm-hmm. very much sort of the North American style is the pretty, the pretty faces and right. hope they can act. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm right, getting right. in trouble for this, but I've done it before. But it's a broad spectrum. I mean, I'm being very general here. Of course I am. But if you really look at American television and versus British television, it's 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 just you just look at the difference. Right. Well, there's an in, there's an interesting thing though. I mean, with the whole the notion of look, and that is, for example, I mean, and one of the things you say was does the character type like in the actor does he look like a soldier? Well. Um, you can give anybody a military haircut, and they may or may not look like a soldier. Yet, if you look at soldiers, not everybody looks like a soldier. You know, so so it's an interesting thing because um, I forget what it was. What's the name of the movie with John Travolta and Christian Slater? Broken Arrow, or yes, Broken Arrow, yeah, Broken Arrow. There was a moment when Travolta uh, kind of marches. He doesn't. He's not marching, but he 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 walks up this hill. And I was watching him, and this was years ago, but it's, it's always stood out in my mind. And I watched him, and his physical demeanor and the way he looked and the way he moved, to me, I went, I could not pull that off. I could, that would, I could never have done what he did. He had that, you know, or you watch A, a Few Good Men, 
Yeah. And um, everybody in that movie, you know, from Kevin Bacon and and uh, Tom Cruise, I mean, the fact that they have to be able to stand and look military, which yeah. and I've never had training in the military. I've not been in the military, so I'm I'm a slouch by nature. You know, to to be a soldier, you know, there are sometimes it it, it really does require look, but it's not just but I I don't always sum up look just by the physical look. I mean by the by the countenance and their their face, but also by the the body. You know, does 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 the way they stand, does do the way they move, are they do they look like they would be the part that I want? Does that make exactly. sense? Exactly, and and you you think you've nailed it. Is that we also and everyone has a version of what uh, somebody should look like. Uh, when I call you know what I call uniformed characters like police, soldiers, right. nurses, doctors, airline pilots, and Firefighters. We all have an idea in our minds what what I call uniformed characters look like, and uh, and they go through this process. And and I I've been involved in a lot of let's say military movies or westerns and where the actors have to ride horses or they have to be able to be able to shoot. And so they get they get training in that as well. Um, right. And that's just something that you know I've done military stuff where they're. They have two days of boot camp kind of thing, or they're crawling through the mud to be a cohesive unit or learn how to handle a weapon. All of that is a very important part of the actor because we have to understand that the the character has been you know 15 years in the military. The actor hasn't even picked up a gun, so right. it's like they have to and, and they have to portray. That and then there are certain actors like like Eastwood, you know, who can play a cowboy. Well, he's ridden a horse or military, and you believe it instantly. You know, John Wayne. I mean, those are the kind of guys that they just step in, they just put a uniform on, and they just are. They look Uh, good, right? Yeah, and so and and then you have that, and other ones, you know, it's like you. There is a bearing. There is something like you said. You put a, you know, get a get a crew cut and put on a military uniform and sort of stand at attention, and you're going to look like a soldier, but. There's more to it than that. It, that's the actor's work. That's the actor's job too of infusing that quality. What are those? What are, even if you've never been in the military, worn a uniform before, it's like what's the stature? What's the bearing? What are the objectives? To go through all that. You're right. It's a really interesting because sometimes you uh, dilemma. Sometimes you know casting, and I guess I guess you're a lot of it too. You can be called casting against type, right? Right, right. Well, you know, I mean, as an actor, and now as an older actor, the the parts that I get called in for are different. You know, I might get called in to be a senator or, you know, some grandfather or a father or, you know, whatever, or, you know, a worker. But anyway, the point being that I, I – and when I love political thrillers and, you know, and stuff. And, and so I'll watch, you know, who's playing the president, who's playing the – the congressman who's playing the aides, who's playing, you know, the and, and especially the older ones. Who's the southern senator that? And I and I look and I and I imagine, could I be in that role? Would somebody cast me for that? And a lot of times it's no, you know, it's it's just that I if and and I, I don't think I, I um I'd like to think that I could do it equally as well or better or or not as well. But the but the point is that I that when I watch movies now. It was because because of casting, I tried to go. Well, would I put me in there? If I wouldn't put me in there, who would I put in there? Or did that person be the person who, you know, uh, fulfilled the role? And 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 oftentimes, I mean, I just I just watch the film and I go, that is the right person for the mm-hmm. part. You know, they they did a really good. Or this, you know, depending on the. Uh, so, it's there's there's a lot of finesse. I mean, there's just so much finessing in this that that. Uh, uh, we had, for example, in something we were doing, we had two guys, and we might have talked about this the last time. One was a softer look, and one was a much harder look. Actually, we had a couple guys who came in with this harder look. And for me, they just weren't the right person to play um, a particular role. But they were appropriate for some of the other roles in the in the film, just based on look. And 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 in shooting it, uh, and I, when I watch it, I got well, absolutely made the right decision here. Now. Um, Somebody else, you know, may have done it differently, but but I'm very pleased. It, the, the, it's like when you look at the screen and you look at people, you get all the information you need in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, and I think also, um, you know, tips for actors as well is is when you're going for an audition, and this is also for casting directors and producers. 
Man. Is is it a movie? Is it like is what I call, is it a one of? Is it like a, a is it a is it a movie or a TV movie or whatever? Or is it a series, a web series or a or a TV series? Because that's two different animals. And and when an uh-huh. actor walks into a movie audition, if they don't get the role, they don't get it. That's it. It's over, right? But if they go into audition for a TV series that's running oh, right. nine episodes or twenty-two episodes or whatever it is, they may not be right for that episode. But they've got the producers in the room and the casting director who are all who are always looking ahead for three or four shows about characters. Right. And so they may not be right for this role, but you know, two they're going to bring you back and look. So especially on TV series, do your due diligence if you're an actor and really say, okay, well, I still have lots of opportunity to work on the series. I may not work on this episode, but I can maybe fit in another one and and that's really that's why it's give your all and really do the best you can in those auditions. Where movies like I said are it's one shot deal. The only thing is that you know you may impress a casting director. Uh-huh. Because ultimately I think uh, and I think you can address this better than I can, but when actors come in to to a room, uh they could have directors and producers that don't live in the town, right? And right. uh, and so they're going to come in, and once you leave, they'll forget about you if you don't, you know. But the casting directors is, is who the actors go for, you know, and that's who they want to impress for the for the next time. So there's a lot of games going on too. There's always actors that can come in and and really blow everyone away in the audition. And again, I've seen all this, and and mm-hmm. uh, and then just don't have it on set for some reason, right? They just it just uh, they're one note. Uh, uh, you know they're very disappointing, uh, or and on the other case, which is probably more, um, you know, you'll get actors that are nervous coming in and just can't get through the audition. Yet if they ever got a role, they'd be they blow people away. So how do you determine that? You know, that's the big, that's the big coin. That's the big thing that directors and actors are always trying to figure out for the rest of our careers. You, you know, know I, I think that's what the screen test is about because. Frankly, one of the things that's consolidated in my head while you were saying this is, is the difference between, and I never, I never, I, I may be way off base, but I'm going to venture an opinion here, and that is that I've never said that I was a good auditioner. Um, I think I'm, I think I'm a good film actor, you know, given the opportunity. The and I love the process of filming. Now, having said that, I enjoy doing theater, but I'm not a theater person. I don't I don't want to make my career in theater. If I had the choice between a movie and a play, I would do the movie. Um even if even if the movie didn't pay and the play did, you know, I mean it's just mm-hmm. that I just prefer movies. I like I like that process. I think that there are theater auditioners and uh movie actors. So that there are people who can come in and they can impress people when they're sitting there cuz they're sitting there. They they have a live audience at that mm-hmm. moment. And they respond, maybe, I'm not saying that they're in theater, I'm just saying that, that as a theatrical actor mm-hmm. would uh, appear before a live audience, that's their niche, you know, that's that's what they do, and they have that ability to do that. And then there's the actor who comes in, and because there are live people sitting there looking at them, they have harder problems, because they're used to having a camera, you know, or something in front mm-hmm. of them. So the screen test is where I think you would determine most, uh, you know, if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to put your actors on camera they've had to go out and learn the scene and now you're looking at chemistry and you're looking at can they do it and you you know you're not sitting as an audience would but you're acting as a film crew that you get you get more information about who's able to perform in the in the setting that's most like the setting we're going to be in Mm -hmm. well that's true and i think a lot of times i think we talked about this last time too is a lot of times your casting if you're doing TV series and all of that, is is a lot. You know, you're as a director, you're 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 watching tapes. You don't even get to see the actors. Right, right, right. And sure. it's uh, you know, it's very difficult. So I'm sitting in an office with the producers watching the casting tape. You know, and then you have to sort of pick who you want to come back and all of that. And the next time you see them, they're walking on the set kind of thing. It's very and very frustrating. Uh, movies, of course, you're not doing it that way. But television series, this machine. Uh, it's just very, uh, it's very disconcerting sometimes as a director, you know, when you don't really get the hands-on, and uh, you're making, chan- you know, just choices based on what somebody else is doing. So, absolutely, you know, Peter, we're at that halfway point right now, and so I need to take a short break and remind people, and then we'll come back. <clears throat> you're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official web address is r e x s i k e s dot com, 
And uh, please share these interviews uh, with everyone. Leave comments before you go. Be sure to, uh, if you're in the chat room or listening to this live or archives, you can always leave comments at the uh, player window right there below the player. There's a comment window, I guess. Uh, so do that and also rate and review the podcast. That helps us out immensely and, and helps extend our reach to other listeners. Uh, you can um, uh, also, I want to tell you about Serum, the movie. It's a movie I'm directing, uh, essentially a short film. Uh, but go to our Facebook page and check out Serum the Movie at Facebook and uh, follow us on Twitter at Serum the Movie. We we'll really appreciate it if you do that. And uh, and be sure to check out Peter's website, actioncutprint.com, actioncutprint.com. He also has a, a Toronto workshop coming up on June 23rd and 24th. Uh, the information is there on your website, correct? Yes, it is. And uh, he also has a, a, a directing uh our director's chair, the e-zine, and film directing tips, the uh, blog. Uh, so he's got a lot of resources, so do check those out. And then I need to tell you about uh, an upcoming workshop in the Milwaukee area. It's Paul Weber. He's casting director. He's cast uh, Stargate Atlantis uh, for all of the run of the show, and he casts uh, Spartacus, among other things. He's going to be in Milwaukee on the 23rd of uh, I'm sorry, the 23rd of June for a one-day workshop, The Art of the Audition. And uh, if you're interested in that, you can contact me through the website, Rex Sykes Movie Beat uh, website. There's a contact page, and if you go to the contact page, uh, hit the button, and it'll send an email to me and tell, tell me you're interested in attending the workshop, and I'll get you all the information. All right. So uh, that's it for now. Uh, back with my guest, Peter Marshall. We're talking about casting. Peter, do you have, did you do, uh, my memory tracking back for the last half hour, did you give examples um, uh, of, of making those adjustments. Um, well, I think you, you can. Okay, like like what I mean by an adjustment is that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but like you about a man or a woman asking their boss for a raise. Have you have you given your examples? Well, I, I don't know, but I can do that. Okay. Uh, so so like when I say give an adjustment again for for directors, it's uh, again part of being a good director, and we've talked about this earlier, is is understanding the language of film and. You understand cinematography language, you understand visual effects, etc. We also have to understand the actor's language, and actors speak in in terms of action verbs and objectives and, and uh, that kind of thing. So you really need to be on that page with them. So really, what you're doing is is raising the stakes or or using action verbs to to get different kind of um, uh, performances. So, for example, just as you mentioned there, let's, let's say you've got a scene where uh, a woman's coming in to ask the boss for a raise, and you want to raise the stakes. They come in and they do their performance. So, you can ask her to try. Okay, well, why don't you try begging the boss for a raise? So, begging is your your verb, and they'll do that. And if you want to raise it or change it, you can say, okay, well, now try demanding your bo- try, try demanding uh, your boss to give you a raise. Now, there's a difference between begging and there's a difference between demanding. They're saying exactly the same lines, but their objective is different using an action verb. I know this is a little complicated sometimes if people don't understand that, but if they can see the difference, so that if an act, so if you, even if yourself, you come in and go, okay, well, I'm begging someone or demanding, you're going to, the way you stand, the way you do your beats, moments, inflections and words are all changing and you don't really have to think about it because we kind of know those or even you can add seducing seduce your boss for a raise whoa so you're going to get a whole different kind of look so those are three examples of taking say the text and it just says in the script a woman comes in or a man comes in it doesn't matter and is asking their boss for a raise and all you're doing as a director um is changing the verbs and changing the objective so that you can see a change in the actor. So the difference between begging and seducing should be black and you know fairly obvious. And if so if they they do something like that, you can see their range, you can see if they take direction and if they don't do that, then they're stuck in whatever they're just stuck. And that's a really really good way of of uh, finding that out. So what I always suggest for directors and what I do in auditions is I have my objectives that I'm interested in for the scene, but I also want to write down verbs or other objectives that have nothing to do with 
with it. I just to, with the actual uh, character in the movie I'm thinking about because I want this is just my opportunity to see if they've got range or take direction. So for example, to use that same scene, if if all it was is the woman was coming in begging, you know that's what the character was, and there was no seducing. But I will use seducing only in the audition to see where this actor can go. I hope that makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. No, no, it does, and it and it and it with the one word you're able to the actor is able to um, you know, understand exactly what you want. Yeah, well, transform you know. without thinking about oh, I have to do this like. People, we've talked about this before by using result direction, you know, where we'll, a director will give them something. People, I want you to be more this or more that or more angry or whatever, which doesn't tell them why. And actors tend to go to their heads trying to figure out what all that means. And good actors, you know, we talked about that before as well, are direct, can be director-proof and kind of process what they want and then do something different. But at the same point, using these action verbs and changing the objective is really the ultimate goal of if that's good directing no matter what you do and that's awesome. going to give you that sense of do they have range cuz please keep in mind you know as a director that you're not casting well ho- hopefully you're not shooting the next day sometimes maybe you are but you want to go through this process where you you have the first audition if you see something there if it, and and again it's a feeling we're into that feelings and emotions part of the business uh then you get them into the callback and callbacks are where you bring two actors in or two or three actors for every role and you want to play them opposite each other to see what the chemistry is then they're playing to each other not to a reader it's more comfortable for the actors in one sense because they've 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 made it through that first horrible part Uh now they're actually playing with another actor i think you can address that too like what's the difference between coming in and 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 reading to a reader who's just on the other side of the camera or to a callback where you actually have another actor to play with what what what's your feeling of that oh well uh, um it's night and day generally uh, generally depending on on who the other actor is and i mean actors can be very cooperative and helpful and make both of you look good or they can be upstaging and obnoxious and 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 so i mean the experience can be any number of things uh, but typically, the reader, uh, if they're a good reader, they're giving you something. They're not just, you yes. know, we hear stories about, you know, big stars on set refusing to, you know, read with the other actor off set. And so they bring somebody in and the, and the person reads like they're reading a phone book, you know, and 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 then you're forced to act without any anybody contributing to your performance. And... Um, and with film, you know this more than is with film. A lot of times, you're not looking at what you're supposed to be looking at. You know, you might be supposed to be looking out the window at the countryside being devastated, and all you're really looking at is some blank wall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you've got to act. So you want your reader to give you as much as you possibly can, so that you can interact and play off of. But it, that's not the same as being next to somebody. The, the proximity, the difference between being able to work with somebody, you know, in a scene and together, I, it just elevates the energy. It, it gives there gives for a, a give and take. It gives, I think, the fact that you're there, there's that added confidence that I'm close. You can still be worried about losing it, but I'm closer than I was, you know, the, the first round. So you want to impress more. Um, but this is also where I think a lot of people get caught in a trap, and that is, and the same thing happens with the cold read is that they're concentrating on what they're saying, not on what they're listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the the actor who's who's there needs to be able to listen to the other person now that you know and and then respond to them as they would as the character. And 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 that's when I think it really I mean it shows up immensely in a cold read because they're either looking at their paper or whatever. But there's nothing worse than having two people in a scene, and you can blatantly see that the one person is not listening to the other person because they're thinking of the next line. Yes, and that's you know, and again, when when people choose readers, I know a lot of casting agencies, you know, they'll have actors actually do the reading, and uh, which is a great experience for actors as well. That's another you know, there's another income opportunity for for actors uh, because they, at least they have some tools that they can get into the part a little bit more than just sort of having a producer or some PA just sort of reading, like you said, off the page in one note. It doesn't give right. the actor anything. And uh, 
and and you want to be able to that this first audition is like I said off the top of this interview is really tough for directors and for actors because so many people can get missed just because of something like that that the actor comes in it's a little cold um they're nervous and they have they have some reader that's just like not even looking at them just reading off a page in a monotone voice um it's already tough enough to be able to do that so from a director or producer standpoint you want to stack the odds in your favor of of just finding these little gems you know just like just over that one other hill you know or okay where's the diamond in the rough you know this is what you're looking for and uh, but a lot of it is experience too i mean this anything we talk about is it's like you know you just need experience of being around actors in auditions working with actors you know doing that kind of thing so you get you feel comfortable say from a director's point of view of just being able to to pick out the the feeling and trusting your gut you know that's really something that we don't talk about a lot and, and it really is you got to get out of your head we talk about actors getting out of their heads you know, to perform and listen and be in the moment. Well, you as a director have to do the same thing. You've got to be in the moment. You you know, if you're listening to actor perform and all of a sudden you think, geez, i got to pick milk up on the way home, uh, oh, right, right. <laughs> that, that's probably not That's probably the actor hasn't given you the good stuff, or, you know, or you're distracted. You know, why Why are you doing that? Why, why are you thinking of that? Um, but if all of a sudden you're just mesmerized or there's something there or, you know, all of a sudden the actor finishes and you go, oh, yeah, cut. Uh, there's something there. So you have to find that quality. And, and remember, it's get to the callback. Maybe when you get to the callback, this isn't the person. But give people an opportunity in the casting and and really start to format it. Because you have, like, you know, there's like four to five times uh, of working with an actor before they stand on set. You know, the first one is the first audition. Mm-hmm. That's number one. That's the first time you get to work with an actor. And then if they're lucky enough, they'll get the callback. So now you're in the callback scenario. And now you work with them in the callback. And then after the callback, uh, usually they're hired. So now you go into the script read-through. So now you're working with the actor in the script read-through. And then you do rehearsals. So that's four times that you should be working with an actor before you stand on a set. And that way you're really getting a sense of who this person is and the right like you've got the right person and working with them and seeing objectives and all of that. So it's a really good process. But this this first, like I said, the bottleneck is that it has to get through this five or ten minutes in a room first. And it's hard Absolutely. on both sides. Absolutely. And, and for the actors who I, and for the director, I, I think there's something to be said about the reader who doesn't offer anything, and that is that as the actor, my job is to act and interact with others. But if somebody's not giving me something, it's still my job to figure out the best way to perform it. Now, in some cases in real life, I mean, you'll have a scene where you're directed to be sitting next to someone who gives you nothing. Yes. You know, maybe you've had an argument with a family member or a spouse or a child, and that person is now shut down. So they're, you know, they're in their thoughts and they're monotone. They're not giving you anything other than, you know, the same thing a reader would give you. Yes. And and you still have to act however you're supposed to act. That's That's part of part of your job but that's having clear objectives yes once you know what's the scene the intent of the scene what's the objective of the scene and then what are your object what are the character objectives then that's what you're working for so it doesn't matter whether the one person is dressed in a clown outfit and standing on their hands and yelling at you or sitting in a chair with their eyes closed as long as you have clear objectives and you know what they are and the director's on page with you you know that's your job and that should work and and the and the other thing that um you know I just lost my train of thought so I, but uh, but essentially that that is <laughs> what I wanted to say too you know if you you do your job and you bring oh the uh, the the thing about auditions that that seem inherently unfair to actors or at least I've always thought so is is that adjustment making an adjustment in other words the, the weird part about that is is um, you know, we need to learn to think on our feet and to be able yes. to make strong choices quickly uh, because you don't have a lot of time in the room. And so you, you know, you you get your sides. Maybe you got the night before. You choose you choose a uh, uh, a point of view. You choose your objectives, and you come in. And then somebody goes, "Okay, how about doing it this way?" Now on the spot, you've got to come up with a, an entirely different way to do it. 
whereas if you were actually you know, in a cast, you would have more time to do that. So the actor needs to be able to think on their feet and and really, you know, it probably would benefit them greatly if, if when they do acting exercises to do um, a scene, you know, multiple different ways, If they're even if they're doing it in monologues in their own, you know, bedroom or something, to practice doing different things because they're going to get the adjustments. And for the director, like you said, you get to see whether the actor can think on their feet and when you are shooting, oftentimes it's critical because of time and all the energy being expended, you know, um, to have that person who can do it. You don't want somebody who's going to have to take an hour or weeks to, to change their, you know, what they're doing. So you, well, you, you get a lot of good feedback when, when you uh, make that adjustment and find that effect. But they it's also it real, too, because life thing, like, you know, life happens to you and it's not never planned, right? Right, and right. So if you're, like, for example, if you're in theater, and you're standing out on the set, and the other actor doesn't show up for misses their cue by five or six seconds or ten seconds, you may have to ad lib. Or if right. something rolls off the table in the middle of your performance and it didn't do it the other times, you've got to pick it up and keep in character. It's about being in the moment, and that's the key word, and not being fried on all of this other stuff that's going on. I mean. We Trilby and I went to a, um, uh, the first performance of a new play about a week ago, and it was a very interesting show. And there was a lot of business for these actors to do. And you could tell that the odd thing, you know, he put something on the table and it rolled off, and they're doing it, and they just, they kept in character. And it was Trilby and I kind of looked at each other and was like, "That's brilliant." They just they kept in character. They said, "Oh, they did something like that," because you knew that wasn't planned. And that's believable, and that's great performance. Because it's, right. it's fresh, it's real. Now, on a film set, you know that still happens. But you know, if you've done the master and you're doing the coverage, and then something changed, the script supervisor is going to say something. You have to do it again, okay? But there's still those moments of freshness, moments that you want to be able to to be in the moment and and not think. Because as soon as an actor starts thinking, we got problems. Right, and and I think that, and I mean that in in the great, in a in the best, way. better sense, right, Rex? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Because it's like when you're performing, you can't be thinking. You have to be in the moment. You have to. Everything right. has to be real. You know, walking over to the chair should be when the when it feels right, not when the director says on this line. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If that's the right. case, and there's a reason for it because of some lighting thing or a visual effect or whatever, that's a different story. But it's like these are the things that we aspire to, and that's why the that direct relationship of the actor and the director, it's like neither of us can work without the other, you know. Well, I guess to a certain extent, the actors can always work without directors, and we can't work without actors. Okay, so you got one up on us, I guess, all right. <laughs> but they would direct themselves. Yeah, the, uh, there you go. The, the, the process would still continue. The, we've got about, you know, maybe nine minutes or so left here, but um, one of the things that I think is important is that the actor well let me step back on that in the early earlier days of films you know things were staged and then and then i think they got even more stagey in the 30s and 40s where you had to hit certain lights and certain marks and say your lines and it was all positioned to camera and when the camera was freed up to move then it became okay you just go perform and we'll cover you you know we can move around you we can you know we can do that and and then cut in and do these things and there's still times when you have to hit your marks and do your stuff but but it is more organic in that um, uh, the camera can follow what's going on, or you know, uh, better than ever now. You know, so if you just act and stay in character and do your thing, uh, make it the cinematographer's job and your job to to be sure that you end up on film. Um, but um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the experience of actors. For example, when you're casting and you're, you're casting a film or TV show, there's a big difference with lenses and the amount of space in a frame and focus, focal point depth and all that kind of stuff. And, and the more experienced actor uh, you know, seems to know, okay, I, I can move an inch this way or that way because yes. you know we're using a certain lens versus I have latitude to lean way in and way out with another lens and stuff like that. So I mean, they have experience that comes with doing it a lot that the the newer actor doesn't. Right now, now when you're casting, do you go? I don't care if the person can hit their marks and uh, and say their lines, and you know, I, I mean, I can condition them on the set to to you know, we can take the time to say, okay, you can only move a half an inch here, 
Or are you also looking for somebody who has that experience, you know, by looking at a resume, for example, and going, oh, well, they've done, you know, a number of, you know, parts here that are significant. How do you, how do you, what, what enters your mind with this regard, or does it? Well, I have not really ever thought of it in that perspective. That's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, again, my version or what I look for in act in the actors is really the, those top three, and, and primarily, you know, whether they're even counterpoint or it's like, can they do they have something that's magic? Do they make me feel something? Um, and I'll work with them, and I feel my strength of a director is is no, understanding the language. And if I can add the words or the verbs or the objectives and be very clear about things um, and not confuse them, uh, I never really worry about whether they've been on a set before or not. I mean, that's all bonus stuff because it's, uh, you know, it's like I think you're looking at it the wrong way. Uh, it's like maybe it's looking at, I don't know, this may be a bad analogy, but it's maybe looking at just the color of the car rather than what the car can do for you mileage-wise or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's important but not that important. It's better. It's like what can the actor do? Um, are they giving me the results? Do I believe this this actor as the character? That's my number one um, objective when I'm casting. And I'll go against type. I'll do a whole bunch of different things because, like I said before, the, the audience never knows what you know who you had originally or what your main idea was. Um, so, but when you're on the set, I think then that's when you see where the inexperience comes in, and that maybe it's a little more work because then the actor will come in and then they're going to end up. I think your question is very valid, Rex, because they're going to go to your head a little bit. Oh God, I got to hit the mark and do this at the same time and. And now they're thinking a bit, and it's making them comfortable going through that. And also, I think that you know your experienced actors, when you watch them, the focus puller and the operator are good friends. You know, they're always looking over and they're looking at the focus puller or, or the operator. And they're, they're putting their hand, their waist, or their chest, like, okay, where, where's my size? Okay, I got it. Uh-huh. They're understanding what those people do, what the crew do. Good actors are what I call crew actors. They're part of the crew. They, they understand what. You know, if I'm moving all over the place and stand up real quick, um, you know, the operator may not catch me, and then we have to do it again. Uh, they're trying to work within the boundaries of the film. I mean, doing the master shot, the big wide master, is like that's the only time the actor has a certain amount of freedom in film. Because until that's printed, it's like theater, right? You can go over mm-hmm. here. You have your boundaries for lighting, and you've already blocked that, of course. But as you're going through it, you can re- you can maybe the second take maybe do it a little differently or do something. But once that master is printed, and now the script supervisor takes over about well you lift you lift you lift the cup with your left hand on the word red, and now that right. has to match. And I think that's where it gets very pedantic for actors. Oh my God, did I actually do that? Wow. You see, because now that it's this repeating because of montage of editing, which you don't have in theater. Every night can be different things happening in theater. That's that's the beauty of live theater. You can go to go to two performances, and yeah, you see the story, but the odd thing is going to be different. The blocking could be different. The timing is going to be a little different. That's what live theater is all about. But in film, it has to match from cut to cut, and that's a and technology you know, that takes over. You know, that's the part that makes it fun for me. I mean, it's it's yeah. the no, it truly is. It's yeah. because I've always believed that that you know you should pay attention to your own continuity and listen to the script supervisor. But you should you should be so methodical in your performance that you do everything the same way for for matching. But you have to do it as if it's the first time you've ever thought it. Yes. You know, and make it come alive. And there's that challenge. Whereas if I'm in a play and things spontaneously occur, I can have awesome hits and feelings and everything. But it was accidental to the to everything and it, and it, it ended up in a, in a brilliant moment, but it may never come back. But mm-hmm. but to have to craft a performance in such a way that I, you know, puff the cigarette at the same spot or eat the pie or or sit down in the same place and lift my cup on that particular line, um, uh, that requires you know a lot of thought. Now, one thing I will say that my first professional acting coach versus the coaches and the and the teachers I had before. Entering the workshop world, you know. Um, yes. With a woman named Lillian Chauvin who passed away a few years ago, I used to I studied with her for many years and also taught for her. Um, 
one of the first things she said to to me and probably the class as well is, you know, befriend the cameraman, befriend the makeup artist, befriend the light person, and befriend the sound people. You know, if nothing else, make good friends with the people who have the opportunity to make you look good or bad. Yes, right on. And and, and respect them. You know, and if you can have lunch with them, you know, they could they because they'll make you look good or they'll make you look crappy. And uh, and so, <laughs> you know, they can they can you know they can they can light you out of a scene, you know, or muffle your sound and make you work the rest of the day. You know, so yeah. it's like, you know, be friendly. Yeah, no, it's absolutely, and and I think there's it's a well-oiled machine when you see it's this ballet between an actor, like when you if there's a camera moving, an actor's moving in a scene, and the camera's moving, then there's actually a ballet. There's the there's the actor, right? There's the dolly grip. There's the camera operator, there's the focus puller, and then there's the boom operator, essentially. And there's this little ballet you see moving all over the place, and it all has to be in, in, in sync, because if the actor all of a sudden stops quickly where he didn't, the camera goes past, that's no good, or the boom pole dips in or whatever. You, there's all these variations, so you're absolutely correct. Is that in theater, you know, once you, you're on the stage as an actor, the director just goes to the bar. You know, like they're no longer needed after that first evening. Very true. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, I've co-directed a couple plays, and then, you know, and Trilby's a theater director, and so I've, she's got lots of experience doing that. And it's like, you know, you're not even allowed backstage after the second performance. You know, I mean, it's it's you've done your job. Well, the director takes it all the way through. And so the actors can change and do things. But I guess the key thing, because I know we're running out of time now too, but ask questions too of your director. And uh, and you know when you're when as an actor, you know just and I, I just want to say one other thing is that I always get into trouble for this, but and I'm gonna. But it's like when you come into an, as an actor comes into the audition, and they and you do your scene and they say thank you, it's like well they haven't seen your range, they haven't seen you know anything. Maybe ask to do it again, and then you do it a different way. Because 99% of the time, they'll let you do that, right? And a lot of people are afraid to uh-huh. do that. And this, this is—I'm going to end with a probably a well. That opens a can of worms. Thanks a lot, Peter. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I have an expression, and the expression is this: No is already there. The answer "No" is already there. So if they're going to just do it once and have you go out, then why not do it again? What do you have to lose? And I think that's an individual actor in the in the circumstance, but really think about that because if you can do something again, but do it differently, there could be an opportunity you can get a role just because you did that. I will piggyback on that, and then we do we do have to close out. Um, in in that, uh, when I talk to my casting director friends, they always say, "Look, this is your audition. Make sure you do." what you wanted to do, make sure that when you leave, you leave feeling good. So if you're in the middle of a scene and it doesn't work, you may cut it for us. You know, Now, obviously it always varies, but most, nine out of ten, have always said, cut it, start again, ask if you can start again, we'll let you. We'd rather have you do the scene in the room the way you want to than to have you go through 100% of it feeling like crap and doing a bad job. Because we're on your side. We want to be able to pick you and stop having to cast. So the closer we get to that process, the better we feel. You know, we found our person. So, um, so uh, do ask again. You know, and yeah. uh, and uh, and do that. Uh, but I will say that the opposite for me is absolutely true on set, and that is the actor should never cut the scene ever because what you do that you didn't like at that moment might result in something wonderful that the director can use. Yes. Um, so you know, and you've got other people relying on the director to say cut. So <laughs> right, no, you know, the actors should never cut themselves in the scene. Yeah, good. Uh, that's my. All right, well, we got to go. But Peter, you have been fabulous as always. We're going to announce when Peter's coming back because he will be coming back. Be sure to go to Toronto on the on the twenty third and twenty fourth of June for Peter's workshop there. Check it out at actioncutprint.com. Uh, be sure to. Uh, Follow, oh, he's BC uh, Filmmaker at Twitter, BC Filmmaker at Twitter. He's got Facebook and Facebook pages, so check him out there. And uh, But there's a director's chair and uh, film directing tips to blog. So uh, visit Peter and, and check out everything he has because he's got a lot. And you've done a lot today, Peter, as you have in the previous 20, uh, 19 episodes of this director series and the five episodes that you did with the first 80s series. So thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day, and we'll we'll be talking uh, soon. Thanks, Rex. You take care.
thank you. Bye-bye. All right, everybody, here's the deal. Go follow Serum the Movie on Twitter and follow Serum the Movie, our production guide, on Facebook and like us, friend us on Facebook. Uh, we got a bunch of production stills up. Uh, our, our, our crowdfunding campaign is coming out. We've got footage from the movie. The trailer will be coming out soon. You can take a look at that. So stay tuned because you're going to want to see what's going on with Serum the Movie. You can follow me at Rex Sykes Movie BT on Twitter. Rex Sykes Movie BT on Twitter. There's Rex Sykes Movie Friends on Facebook. Go and check that out as well. You have been marvelous, as are all of the people who have uh, been in the chat room today. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you for leaving comments before you go. That's a big help. And thank you for spreading the word near and far to your friends and industry connections um, each and every time you do. It helps us out greatly, and I and I certainly appreciate it. Again, I want to thank my fascinating guest, Mr. Peter Marshall, and you, the readers and listeners of Movie Beat. We've got many more exciting guests coming up. I didn't tell you about who they are or, or anything during the break, but so be sure to stay tuned, and please keep sharing the website and the interviews with all your friends and contacts. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects. Until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.